Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you here in the room. Good morning to those of you tuning in online, those of you in Ainsford this morning. I'm a little bit louder than Les, this is ringing a little bit. Would someone bring this down for me, this microphone, a little bit? What do you mean by bringing it down? Just the red fade. Let me physically. Bring it down. <laughs> Thank you. So this morning we're starting a new sermon series, Perfect. And uh, this new sermon series is going to run for eight weeks. In those eight weeks, we're going to just hit on a few topics. We don't normally do topical messages. In fact, I think the best thing is when we work through the Bible expositionally, exegetically, these are good Bible school words for deliberately a chunk of the time working through scripture, seeing what it says, rather than hopping around the place, having a good old time. But we're really hearing the message of scripture, we're hearing it in context, we're developing our understanding. But for the next eight weeks we're going to do the exact opposite, we're going to hop around a little bit. And that's because I think we really need to consider just some vision and values as a church. And I've got eight words to share with you over the next two months. I'm not going to be the only one preaching and be panic, but I'm, I am going to be one of the main people sharing some thoughts. And that's very important to me because I think these individual keywords make up who we are as a church, our distinctives as a church. And as we're becoming one church with two locations, it feels all the more important to me that we really understand who we are, who we as Stone Baptist Church have grown into in the last six or seven years, who we are as we extend our ministry and become one church in two locations by joining with the good folk in Amesford, and also for those around us, those who are wondering, well, what is this place all about? In Stone, I think we've got a fairly well-established reputation in Amesford, the church has a very long-standing reputation, perhaps slightly less known, especially as we go through this transition. And so I think this is a really key moment. This has really been something that's been on my heart for several months for us just to deep dive into together. And let me just say, and uh, hopefully encourage you as I say, please open your Bibles. <laughs> now you might be thinking, well, where should I be opening my Bible to? Another good question. Who knows off the top of their head where they might find the Great Commission? See some people rifling through. Uh, I think the really wise among you have pulled out a smartphone and you look at us a flash as you Google frantically. <laughs> and you're looking for Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We need just a moment to find it. For those of you who are thinking, you're going to read it anyway, while I'm working this hard. You are, of course, right, <laughs> but that is cheating. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. 
Matthew 28, 16-20. I think we've all found it here. Hopefully you found it in Inter, online, perhaps at Blossom's Care Home, especially with morning to you as well. And uh, if you're thinking, well, you're going to read it, yeah, here we go. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end. If you're not familiar with this verse, can I just encourage you to get familiar this week? There are some great Bible verses that we really love. You know, verses like John 3.16, For God's love the world, and he said his one and only Son, whoever believes in him might not perish or have eternal life. Perhaps as you recite that back, you're a believeth rather than a believe. Perhaps you're a hope, whoever hopes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Another great passage says, For anyone who asks the Lord for help will be saved. That's Acts 2, verse 21. Or still another great passage that we all know and love. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I could go on. But let me just say, I think this deserves to be. Not that we ever really want to become one of those churches who gets terribly excited about a few key verses and doesn't love the whole of the Word of God. But if you're going to really love the Word of God, can I just encourage you to deep dive into this story, this passage. You see, this morning I don't have time to take it all in as we do something topical. And I'd love to spend the next six months breaking down this passage and all the verses surrounding it because it takes place at a really key moment in the whole story of Christendom being formed, Christianity coming into its own. The mission and vision of God on display for us to see. But this morning I've got time just to share with you why I think this is such a great passage. So, first of all, first of all, there's an instruction. I love Bible passages that have an instruction. I'll tell you why I love Bible verses that have an instruction. It's because they become so applicable to my life, and I like that. Some Bible verses, you read them and then you have to work really, really hard to discern their meaning. My favourite Bible verses are the ones where they say, go, stop, do this, do that, come here, go there. Don't do that, you moron. There aren't any of those. Or even, draw close. As we start getting past draw close, draw close is already becoming a little bit more abstract, it's a bit less immediate. 
that the media is good. Because I think, in fact, I passionately believe that all of us have more head knowledge than heart knowledge. And what I mean by that is, you know more about God, you know more about His Word, you know what it means to be a Christian better than you're living it out. The things that have gone deep in your heart, the things that you're doing daily, the things that you are putting to work. And I don't mean that as a rebuke so much as an encouragement. We've got a great passage. It says, go. Go. I'm encouraged that nobody's got up and left yet. There is a little bit more to the instruction. It's not just an encouragement to go. You're not meant to just go home. You're not meant to go out to lunch. There's something that we're going to be doing, and the going has to be in context. And so it says, go and make disciples. That's the instruction. So now we're all clear on that, we can go, right? Any more questions? We got it? We good? Nobody's gone up yet. <laughs> I don't know about you at home, has our viewer count just plummeted? For those of you in Ainsford, have you just left? <laughs> I think probably we have, because actually, go and make disciples. The going is easy, the making disciples something feels a bit complicated, doesn't it? You see, the word I want to talk about this morning is mission. We've been given a mission by God. In fact, we've not just been given a mission by God, the mission belongs to God. This isn't mission impossible, nobody needs to do any commando roles, nobody's going to be asked to go and have a big gun battle in the streets. But it would be unfair to suggest that the mission that you've been invited to participate in isn't going to put your life at risk. It would be unfair to suggest that the mission that you're being asked to partake in doesn't put your life at risk. But here's the crazy thing. Your life was at risk already. When God invites us to risk all that we have by trusting in Him, I think that is the lower risk of the two options of trusting or not trusting. Being involved in God's mission is going to take all that you've got. Sometimes I think we really soft sell what it means to be a Christian to new believers. And I think that borders on meanness actually. Because what we're inviting them to is to sacrifice all that they have, all of their cares, all of their wants, lay them at the feet of Jesus, and God is going to give them so much better than they could ever have come up with to ask for by themselves. So actually this makes good sense, but more than that, if we look at the first century disciples, we see people that were constantly getting themselves into scrapes, had amazing testimonies to share, and to have a great testimony, you've got to have a great test. And actually, I can't think of anything more exciting than being invited to live life with Jesus. I can't think of a more exciting thing that we could decide to do together. I can't think of a more meaningful thing to do than to live our lives in the light of Christ and invite others into that. 
But at the end of the day, the mission belongs to the Lord. Because the battle belongs to the Lord, because the mission is the missio day, the mission of God. The thing we're being invited into when we're told, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and baptizing them into the family of God. We're being invited to extend the family of God. And so the mission of God is what we're being invited to participate in. And that is both the biggest, scariest challenge you will ever hear in your life, because it's God-sized rather than you-sized or me-sized, but it's also the most amazing adventure that you will ever participate in. You see, this passage is really simple. It says, go. What we're going to do as we go, we're going to make disciples. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to baptise them. As they come to faith, we're going to welcome them into the family of God. We're going to see them come through the waters of baptism, raised into new life with Christ. We're going to teach them And then we promise that God is going to be with us every step of the way while we do that. Isn't that an amazing promise? I mean, literally, it's quite here. It says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, this challenge, this mission that we've got. This crazy adventure, and when you hear the word adventure or mission, I don't know if you think of James Bond or Mission Impossible or Indiana Jones, but you know, these movies have these great moments with great perils and challenges and highs and lows, and it all comes good in the end. And sometimes we think, why is that really plausible? Does it all come good in the end? Well, I think it does when we're following Jesus' plan because. It, at the end of the day, the best is yet to come. It's more than just an encouraging slogan. It's an eternal truth promised by God to you and to me. You see, as we consider this question of what it looks like to go out, to do what God is calling us to do, to be involved in His business, His mission, I've got a really fun question for you to think about. Here it is. Who led you to faith? You see, this story is a great story because it's your story. And if you get involved in God's mission, God's plan, you're going to be part of the answer to somebody else's story. As I sat down and tried to work out who led me to faith this week, I had a few moments and I thought I could tell you some cool stories. In fact, the more I thought about it, I thought, oh, well, that person did that, and that person did that, and that person did this, and that person did that, and I realised it was definitely more than one person. And then I thought, well, that doesn't really help me. I wanted to tell you one really neat story. It was going to be great. I was going to say, well, this person led me to, to faith, and that's it. But actually, one parted, another watered, 
Actually, I didn't this makes me bad, so I thought that then someone else watered, and then someone else watered, and someone else watered, and then there was some more watering, and a bit more watering, and a bit more watering, and a bit more watering, and then the harvest was brought in. If you're thinking, that's a weird analogy, it's in the Bible. <laughs> One planted, another waters, and another waters. Making disciples, I guess, what I'm trying to say is it's a team sport where everybody counts. And isn't it great to be sitting with our teammates here in church this morning? This is the family of God. Look around you. If you're in church this morning, look around you. If you're in Ainsford this morning, look around you. If you're at Blossoms Care Home this morning, ask people around you, are you a Christian? Do you love Jesus? They're your teammates. If you're at home, look around you. Wouldn't this be a more encouraging analogy if you were in church? It wouldn't, wouldn't it? Definitely would. <laughs> find a mirror, find a reflection. Who's your team? No, it doesn't work. Come to church, it's better in the world. <laughs> but as we look around, we see this is my team. This is my family. These are the people that God has given me and given me to. And we encourage one another. You see, when we're Christians, when we all believe the same thing, we call it fellowship. And it's a bit like friendship, but it's got Jesus mixed all through it, and it just makes it richer and better and sweeter. And I wish I could explain exactly what it is about fellowship that makes it better than friendship. I wish I could discern all the mysteries of God and be like, well, it's a bit of this and a bit of that, and all oh, don't forget this thing. But actually, I think it's as simple as this. Jesus in our midst, that's what makes fellowship special. We're entering a new phase in the pandemic, and I think there's going to be an opportunity for more and more fellowship going forwards. We're doing this tentatively because we care about you and the ones that you love just as much as you do. But I think there's going to be more and more fellowship in our future. Some of you have already shared with me your anxiety when you go out into the world and you see people mixing and the way they mix and you think, oh, crumbs, are we there yet? I'm not sure we're there yet. But increasingly, I think we can all see that there is more and more freedom, more and more mixing together, more and more opportunity for fellowship. And I think fellowship is a great place to invite new people into. This passage breaks it down really simply. It says, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them, know that I'm with you. And for a long time, churches have tried to work out how exactly we do this process. They took three B words. You might have heard these B words before. And I call them B words. It makes it sound like they're getting terribly rude. And they're not. And that's the first time I've heard that. So let me quickly bring up the words. <laughs> Belong, believe, behave. You've probably heard these words in different formats. A great many Christian books have been written about the right order for these words. And let me just announce some colours for the master and say, Belong, believe, behave is the order I think they were the best in. I think they're the order that this Bible passage best reinforces as well. Go, meet people, invite them into belonging. 
invite them to know who Jesus is. Help them to believe, make disciples, baptise them. Behave. Well, what does it look like to behave as a Christian? Well, you probably need to be a Christian before you can learn to look like a Christian, don't you? And I think that's an ongoing process. I find in church, we continually have to practice behaving like Christians. And it's not that we've been given a big rule book, it's that we've been given an amazing opportunity to know God's best for our lives, and that's what we want to live out. We want to live out God's best. It's not that we're following a rule book, it's that we've got a guidebook from our loving Heavenly Father, an instruction manual for life, uni the universe and everything. Which you might be thinking the answer to is 42, but it's not. That's uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and that's very different from the Bible. Although I would buy a Bible that said, don't panic on the front. <laughs> and so as you consider, who led me to faith? I think this is a great question. I did want to share one personal story with you this morning. I remember growing up in church, we used to do these things called church weekends away. They were so encouraging. You see, they're not quite like a, a normal weekend away. You don't go on a weekend away with your whole church very often. It's kind of a funny idea. I don't know how many of you are familiar with a church weekend away. I know prior to me joining this church, there were some fantastic stories about people getting lost up the side of mountains. I would suggest that is not how to do a church weekend away, although it does sound like quite the amazing story in hindsight. In the moment, it's just a bit more stressful than I think we're aiming for. I remember going on some great church weekends away. We'd go to this centre, we'd stay in dormitory-style rooms, we'd We'd have big meals all together, big meal times. A few people would do the, the cooking and then we would all be on the road just to do the washing up. And you think, oh, that doesn't sound like fun, washing up for like 60, 70 people. I tell you what, it was a lot of fun. And not just because I was a naughty teenager, but that definitely played a part. And then we'd have some meetings, we'd have church every day. We'd arrive on the Friday, we'd have dinner and then we'd have church. We'd have church on Saturday, we'd have church on Sunday, you might be thinking, gosh, this is a modern church. But we'd also go out with one another, we'd have walks in the countryside, the kids would play football. I remember playing, I remember playing football for six hours straight, in the rain, because we were very unfortunate one year. We went several years, it rained for the entire time, and um, you know, it was so encouraging. That's part of my story. That's part of me becoming a Christian. And we all have these moments, we've all got these great testimonies that, you know, this person came this one year to this one thing and they talked about taking our faith more seriously, or they talked about living a life for Christ, or they talked about this topic, that topic, the other topic. The topics all fade over time, but the impact they make lasts. And I think that's what we're being invited to do for other people still today. We're being invited by God to be one of those people that gets to impart something. And we might be forgotten by them. We might even be forgotten by us. That might seem like a funny thought. 
that what we do, that it leaves an impression of Christ on somebody else's life, might be lost in the mists of time. But I truly believe that it has the potential to resonate in heaven. Because when we get to share our faith with somebody, when we encourage somebody in the way they're going after Jesus, I think the things we do now echo in eternity. Because that's one more voice in the choir of heaven when a person gets saved. That's one more party in heaven when somebody gives their life to Jesus. That's one more person joining church on Sundays, singing praises out to God. One more person in fellowship. You know, you might see somebody come to faith because of something you have shared. And a few years later, have that person minister to you in a way that they wouldn't have done had they not been here and makes all the difference in your life. You see, we're called to live in community. We're not here that one imparts something to another and we have these great people who just tell us all how to live. I don't think that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church where we encourage one another, where everybody takes up their part in this mission that we've been given by God. We want to be blessed by God. We want to know Him at work in our lives. And can I just say, all those times that I have lived God's way, when I've been open to His leading, those are the moments I think I can honestly say where I have been most encouraged, most challenged, and most changed into the likeness of Christ. You see, this mission that we've been given is a great responsibility. And I sometimes wonder, how should it feel to somebody new coming in? Have you ever had this thought? How should our church feel to somebody new coming in? <coughs> As we try and encourage them to come, I mean, we go out and then we bring them back. That's the purpose of going and coming, isn't it? We're trying to bring people into faith. As we try and make disciples, what does it feel like to be here for the first Sunday? The second Sunday, the third Sunday. What does it look like for us to earn the opportunity to speak into their lives? Well, I hope it feels a lot like being part of the family of God and being welcomed home. Because I think that's the spiritual reality to this. We're called to go out and make disciples. We want to bring people into our fellowship. And we want them to feel at home here. Perhaps as you're still thinking on that question, who led you to faith? Well, if I think about that question, I think I can say my mum, my dad, my grandparents, my pastor growing up, the, the people in church, my friends, people that I would consider part of my church family, special places to me like Soul Survivor, Hill House Camp and retreat centres like Dalesdown and, and as I think further and further I think well the Bible College I went to Spurgeons and 
some of the great conferences I've been to, places like Hillsong Conference, have left their mark. So what does it look like for us to be encouraged? Well, what did it look like for us to come to faith? It was a series of events where we discovered more about Jesus and more about ourselves. And I think that's all we need to do. I don't think there's some great master strategy other than the one that belongs to God. And I think God's master strategy is to ask us to help out with telling some people about Jesus. Sometimes that doesn't seem like a great strategy because I think we're slightly over-dependent on you and me. <laughs> In fact, sometimes we can hear people pray this. They pray for the revival to break out. They pray that God would do what only God can do. And I think pretty confident that God's already doing his part. Are we doing ours? God keeps turning up. Every time I go for a quiet time, I find God. The one who sometimes misses a day is me. There are people desperately crying out, seeking to find God, and God sending us to them. Two last thoughts, and I'm wrapping up. You see, the disciples were told to go into this place that Jesus was going to be so that they could hear the commission of Jesus to go out into all the world. I think this is a commission that's passed on to every believer. I think it started with these people and I think it's for you and me as well. Sometimes when we read a Bible passage, we try and read ourselves into it and we think, where would we be? And I think this time was really easy. And I think just as this passage says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think that happens in church too. I think some of us have had an iron week and we just need some encouragement. Some of us need to draw close to the feet of Jesus and just leave our cares and our wants with him. And sometimes you even see somebody who is just consumed by their And I think that that is a great place to stretch and deepen I don't think that that's a problem to us at all. I think actually doubts are a fantastic tool to learn. We want to have deep, sincere faith. And I think the way we find a deep, sincere faith is we wrestle with God. There are great stories in the Bible about people wrestling with God. And as they wrestled with God, they were blessed by God. Because God loves it when we, when we want to know more about Him. Even if we give him a bit of a hard time along the way, I think his shoulders are broad enough that he can hear the cares of our heart, the challenges, the worries, and like a loving father, embraces fully all the world. In fact, I think the end of this passage that says, Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Promises that. One final thought for you. One final thought. You see, the disciples had to be where God had asked them to be so that they could be asked to do what God was asking them to do. Where is God asking us to be so that we can hear his instruction? 
his invitation to his mission, where do we need to be? I think where we need to be is in church. You know, this is home base. When we're on the mission of God, we've got to have a place to go back to. I think one of the amazing things about life is we can get so comfortable in the world. Because we're in the world, we're not of the world. Earth is not our home. Our home is in Christ. And this place, here in Stone, there in Ainsford, you know, these are our, our family home as the people of God. I think that's what a church building is. There's nothing magical about it. In Ainsford, the building has beautiful, truly beautiful stained glass windows. Here in Stone, we've got a far more utilitarian building. It's got great new floors throughout and a heating system that is toasty warm. There are pros and cons about all sorts of different homes. I don't know how many of the homes of the people sitting around you you've been in. Some of you might really love your home, some of you might think, mm, there's a few bits of DIY that you're doing around the place. <laughs> I'll confess we're in that second category. <laughs> you know, whether you love your home, whether there's a bit of DIY that needs to do. I think the analogy works really well of this place being your spiritual. The building's not magic. People don't walk into the building and instantly become Christians. I wish it was that easy. We'd have a blast. <laughs> we come on in, you know, the, the toilet bins need changing, the kitchen bin needs changing, the chairs need laying out. There's always things to do. It's just like being at home, there are chores. But the thing that makes this place special is it's our spiritual it's the place we come together to be, to seek God. And yeah, you can do that at home by yourself, and that's the amazing thing about God. He never leaves or forsakes you. He's with you every step of every day. But there's something special about living life together. This is the place that we go out from. This is the place that we come back to. And as we go out, what are we going out to do? I think it's far too easy that we go out to go home and have a, a wee nap, as my Scottish granny would say. Or we go out and we go to work and the busyness of life hits us like a tidal wave. Perhaps it feels more like a tsunami even. And before you know it, you're rushing around. It's three weeks before you make it to church and you get here and you think, oh my word, I just want to... Do these chairs recline? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> Before anyone tries. Health and safety. <laughs> but this is a great place to be. This is where we need to come to a charge, to remember what it feels like to be at home, to rest in the presence of God. We can do that wherever we are, but doing it together is special. And that, this is where we're trying to bring people into. This is the place we're trying to make as hospitable as we can. This is where we want people to come and call their home as well. 
one of the challenging, slightly uncomfortable things is we're forever inviting new people into our home. And that's a great thing because this house belongs to God. And that's what he wants to see. So whether you think of making someone a disciple as more of an academic exercise, let me just say to you, it's a faith exercise that Jesus has already prepared the way for by dying on the cross and making a place for every single one of us and a lot more people besides us. If you're thinking, well, it's, um, it sounds like a big task. It sounds like it might be bigger than us. Let me just say, it is. If you're worried that this is too big of a job, if you don't know where to begin, thank goodness this is Jesus' plan. This is God's plan. This is the mission of God, not the mission of Les or Joel or Barbara, not the mission of you or me, but God's plan. Sometimes, and I'm not sure I'm meant to say this as a pastor, I even think, Lord, I'm not sure that this is a great plan. There are a few bits that I take issue with. For instance, Jesus dying doesn't seem like the obvious choice. Sinless, blameless, perfect Jesus, your son. Sometimes I think, you know what the flaw in the plan is? It's all of us. <laughs> but this is God's plan. And God in heaven, King of heaven and earth, has decided that this is the way he is going to go about his business. And he's inviting us to join him. I think that's incredibly humbling. I think this is an exciting challenge. I think that this is a challenge that he knows we're up to because he never asks us to do more than we can do with him by our side. You might have seen these dodgy Christian magnets, final thought, I promise, that say, God only gives his biggest challenges to his best champions, or he gives his biggest battles to his fiercest warriors, or God will never give you more than you can handle. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I guarantee that God will give you more than you can have because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when we call upon the name of the Lord, when I say, Lord God, I can't do this in my strength. I need more of you. Lord, send revival. Lord, do this, do that, do the other. It doesn't matter what I say except when I unite my voice with Christ. So when I pray, Lord God bless us, Lord God increases, grow us spiritually, grow us numerically, I know that I'm praying the promises of God. And I think that's the thing that makes all the difference. It's not about crying out to God, telling him what we need. It's about crying out to God and asking him to be Lord of our lives. Because he knows what we need. And he promises that he's going to give us abundantly more. But it's going to be for his glory. It's going to be his way. Because that's what it means to let him be the Lord and Saviour of your life. And that's what we're trying to invite other people into. 
to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so let's go out, let's make disciples. Let's baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And let's remember that as we do that together, we're going to have the most amazing testimonies to share. And Jesus is going to be alongside us every step of the way. Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>